Hey, hey, friends. Welcome to the Lens of Faith podcast. I was recently invited to be a guest on the Solomon's Knot podcast, their campus ministry that reaches out to college age and young adults. I wanted to share this conversation that Jason and I had regarding morality, gender, divine appointments, culture. We covered a variety of topics centered around holy living and living a life according to God's standards. I pray that this message encourages you. All right, guys, I got a great guest on today. Normally, we have just you know, students or we get uh, professors and various uh, disciplines academically, uh, but I really wanted to get a voice on the show to really talk and to speak into issues in the culture. And I could not think of a better person. She has just got literally uh, a thumb on what is happening in the culture and the world. And I think she is just so great at, at taking even some of those theological and just practical aspects and bringing them together and just presenting uh, in a very clear way what, what's going on in the in the cultural zeitgeist that we are uh, in the midst of. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my friend Leah from Lens of Faith Ministry. Hey, Leah, how's it going? Hey, Jason. Tell us a little bit about particularly what you want to communicate to uh, both young people, college-age students, maybe parents or ministers that are, are uh, you know following the show. I really believe that who we are created, our talents, our gifts, even how we look, our age, you know, the time that we were born and the age that we're born in, you know, the year that we were born, it's all for a purpose for such a time as this, right? Mm. You are the second woman I've interviewed and already it's, there's like a shift happening with the kinds of conversations and personalities and, and the different sources of wisdom that I'm kind of getting in that I think are going to be relevant for this conversation. And uh, I'm just really excited. Unpack a little bit more on maybe some of the challenges that you're seeing in the culture, whether it's between young people, the, I know you've done talks in your podcast, uh, uh, targeting issues, whether it's uh, just uh, social media usage or suicide uh, uh, statistics, things like that. Um, and I think just recently you did a, a podcast on just the whole cancel culture and, and uh, LGBTQ stuff and some of the deceptions there and some of the struggles there. So this was interesting. Um, there's kind of a couple books I really wanted to tease out. One of them's called uh, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters by Abigail Schreier. I'm not going to get into like all the nitty gritty here, but uh, she was a... Um, uh, I think a New York Times best-selling author. She really unpacked a lot of this. And essentially what she said is, uh, and this is a quote from one of her books, she said, for these girls, trans identification, uh, identification offers freedom from anxiety's relentless pursuit. It satisfies the deepest need for acceptance, the thrill of transgression, and the seductive lift of belonging. Tons to unpack there. Um, I was just curious, you know, has this conversation come up a lot in some of the communities you've been in, uh, and what are maybe some of those themes that I think is really sticking out that's uh, uh, maybe maybe relevant for the conversation that we're having? You know, I didn't grow up with social media. So for me, a lot of things are shocking. I'll just tell you that, mm. you know, um, where the young people now, you know, if you're in your 20s, you know, and even, you know, when you're you're in your teens right now, all you know is social media. And so the enemy has really used this culture that is addicted to social media to bring a spirit of confusion mm-hmm. and to really mess with identity and give identity crisis to young people mm-hmm. and targeting the children, right? 
not coming after the ones that are in their late 30s and 40s. And, you know, they, they're already set in their ways and they have their own mindset. Mm-hmm. He's targeting the ones that are in this culture. I call it a death culture that we live mm-hmm. in, right? Yeah. Where growing up, I don't remember suicides like you see now, you know, just left and right. You know, um, I heard recently that a girl, you know, she couldn't get her Snapchat to load and she mm-hmm. committed suicide because of it. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, something super small and like really, you know, pointless. Yeah. The enemy is using the smallest things to target life, Mm. to target identity, to target purpose. Because if the enemy can get your identity, then he can rob you of your purpose. Yeah. Then you're going to be useless for his kingdom. And you're going to live defeated the rest of your life. And that's his goal. Right. So with that type of culture, you know, young people, you know, they feel lost. You know, they don't know what their place is in this world. You know, there's these bullies online. There's, you know, um, I have a friend who's a mom and she's a big advocate for children and technology and social media. Just recently, she made up an account, you know, um, pretending she was a 15 year old to see what would happen. And she said instantly she had two, you know, pedophiles send her messages, you know, soliciting her, you know, thinking that she, you know, sending false photos. Mm -hmm. And she also got instantly, she got ads that said that, you know, you're too fat, how to lose weight. Mm -hmm. All those things were targeted to her within like the first day of her creating an account as a 15 year old. Oh, it's nuts. Yeah. This is the, one of the dangers with using this technology. And um, I heard some discussions on this recently about how, you know, the technology essentially, from the standpoint of a parent, if you give your child access to technology, the world's basically trying to raise your child for you. And, and there's probably so much we can unpack there uh, just between, uh, you know, whether it's boundaries and, and just, you know, healthy technology usage, what what are the appropriate levels of which you should give access, even ourselves. Like, right. I mean, I have, uh, you know, software for my phone that allows some of my friends to monitor my activity that I trust for accountability reasons. Uh, but these are, these are almost, you know, from a standpoint of, if, if we believe what the word says about the, the eyes being the gateway to the soul, then we have a responsibility to protect the content that's actually getting into our hearts and, you know, into our mind and, and how we actually process that. And I think there's something so powerful about that. And there's also something very powerful about words. And here, here's some statistics that I found uh, pretty shocking, actually. And this is not just some random uh, article I pulled off the website. This is the National Library of Medicine. So this is a government organization that's conducted empirical research into this. Here's just the overview right here. Social media use by minors has significantly increased and has been linked to depression and suicidality. So these are government studies right here. Simultaneously, age-adjusted suicide rates have steadily increased over the past decade in the U.S., with suicide being the second most common cause of death in youth. I don't know what the first one is, probably depression or, or um, you know, drug addictions or overdose. So the second most common cause. Hence, the increase in suicide rate parallels the simultaneous increase in social media usage. There is a direct correlation here. How much so? In addition, the rate of non-suicidal self-injury ranges between 14 and 21% among youth. Okay, so look, the evidence is pointing to a correlation between increased social media usage and depression leading to suicide, gender, dysmorphia, all these things. So how do we then properly engage with the technology? And by the way, you and I grew up at a time where we just started kind of getting access to this stuff. What do you tell to maybe students or young people today that are being raised in this? Like from a practical standpoint, what can we do to curb the technology usage and to maybe free ourselves of this to 
have more time for the people that we love, our own relationship with God, practical things that you do maybe in your life to maybe equip people listening to the show? Well, first of all, I want to urge parents, like really urge parents to not introduce your kids to a smartphone, you know, mm-hmm. to technology and don't be addicted yourself in front of them because then they're going to want what you're doing. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to say it, but you have to actually live by example. Right. But I urge parents to not give their kids access to technology until they're, you know, you know, 17, 18, until they're, you know, to an age where they can mm. ha- make mature decisions, you know? Mm. And if you're not raised knowing who you are in Christ, I mean, that's just a whole nother message, honestly. Mm. Like, you yeah. know, it's hard to really speak to maybe uh, young people that weren't raised in a Christian home, you know, because mm. they didn't have the foundation that you mm. need. So when you get set out into the world, you mm. have something to come back to. Mm. And so that's kind of a hard thing. If you were not raised with, you know, a knowledge of who you are in Christ, knowing who God is, mm. uh, you know, there wasn't a spiritual sense of, you know, atmosphere in your home, right? Mm. Then it's hard to, to, to kind of cut all that out all of a sudden, right? Yeah. So it really has to do with um, our own conviction from the Holy Spirit, honestly, because even I have to put my phone down, you know, it gets mm. to a point where even if I'm doing a good thing, I could be doing ministry related things, you know, good things for the kingdom, right? Mm. And even and then God's saying, but it's still not you and me. Mm, yeah. Like even I, even you can be doing good things online. It's not always harmful things, but that constant addiction to a phone. And I think they were saying that smartphones, they, they give off like a dopamine. I don't know all the stats on that, mm. but there's, a, there's something about what's in a smartphone that actually keeps you addicted. And that's why a lot of people, as soon as they wake up, one eye open in bed, they already have their, their Instagram open, right? Mm. <laughs> or they're laying in bed and, you know, they want to go to sleep, but they can't. It's because their mind is just racing from all of the information that they've taken in, all of the images, all of the comments, all of the, all of the connections online that they, all the information, all the pictures, everything that they've taken in. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it's hard to sleep. So that's not healthy as well. Right. Yeah. And so then you wake up moody and it, but then you you can't let it go, though. You can't put it down. <laughs> and so it's really something that we'll have to take, you know, self-control to do. And this can separate me from my relationship with God. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not like, is this wrong or right? It's more of does this separate me from God or does this draw me closer to his presence? Yes. You know? Yeah. And a lot of times Christians go, oh, well, it's not a sin, so it's okay. But if you live in that gray area, then you lose that intimacy factor that we need to have with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, you know? Yeah. There's times where I feel like, okay, I've been on this for two hours Mm -hmm. and I'll get, you know, Holy Spirit, quick conviction, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Put your phone down and just have time with me. Cut out the middleman, you know? Wonderful. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, just... Not just knowing your identity, but also uh, creating space, uh, whether, you know, you're, there's, there's almost a self-awareness like, hey, I'm spending too much time immersed and addicted to this, this, this sense of uh, um, uh, self-gratification or just it's the device itself is drawing you into this, this almost like this place of like a soothing 
and uh, this place of like comfort that in a, sen- in a sense is giving you purpose and identity. And that's, it's anything, anything we we fill that gap with, right? And what's I think particularly dangerous about the technology is that it almost, the longer you're immersed in it, the more narcissistic you get because you're emptying yourself into this technology. And like, here's, here's a few quotes from scripture. This is from the word of God. And I want you to really think about this from just an outside perspective in, in terms of the conversation we're having. So this is Romans 12, 1, the apostle Paul speaking this. So therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, right? Right. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Like we need a standard to look at, to say, hey, this is the way that I should be living my life. And therefore, when you see things clearly, you're like, wow, like I'm spending a lot of time on this technology or I'm spending a lot of time engaging in some of these practices that are unhealthy. And if here, here's here's the thing is there's almost like this, this type of reverse shame happening where in the past, we would kind of feel guilty about these things. And I think that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit bringing this onto your heart. But now because the culture is like, well, no, you should do what makes you feel good. Right. And the reason you're feeling guilty is because of all these, these, these cultural and religious pressures put on you, these, these kind of these systems of, of tradition that are no longer relevant today because we have the technology or because we have some insight or because we're not uh, constrained by the, you know, the institutional pressures put upon us by our parents and their, in their traditions. So I think there's this almost kind of like this, this new Renaissance happening with a lot of younger people where they're uh, le- reaching out to the technology in a way to kind of like escape the, the actual real consequences of engaging with this. It's a, you know, it's a form of escapism, but you know, a little tough love, but I did a blog about, you know, stop telling people that you're a Christian when you're really just a believer. Ooh. Oh yeah. And you know, there's, and look, we talk about this a lot uh, within the context of faith, but when we say fruit, right there, there's a, an outcome, a visible, there's an actual outpouring of your conduct, your character, your internal beliefs are basically informing your out your external uh, behaviors. And so, the the biblical concept of fruit is essentially how you're conducting your life is going to actually be reflective of the decisions that you're making, the lifestyle patterns that you have, your very words yourself. Out of the heart, the words floweth, right? And so um, just even going a little bit further in Romans, uh, this is verse nine. I mean, super theological, but just incredibly practical and real. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I don't think that that can apply to people that don't even believe. Right. I mean, that's just universal, I think, in that regard. But now we have to define what evil and good is. You can't define good apart from God. We don't have the same definition of the same language. Uh, Be devoted to one another in love. I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. That's the golden rule. Honor one another above yourselves. The culture that we're in today is elevating man above God. Right. It's, It's basically promoting the sense of, well, we can define what's right and good and and pleasing to ourselves as long as we're not hurting our neighbor and as long as we're not violating the law, right? The law of the land. Well, in in a sense, what you're doing, the way you're behaving in a way is actually harming your neighbor because while you may want to practice certain behaviors or uh, things, what used to be done privately, 
is now being done publicly. And because those behaviors are not being addressed within those private or public contexts, uh, those have a spillover effect into education, into government, into our church communities, into every area, every area of life. And now what, what's happening is as us as the church or us as people that uh, conform our lives to God's word, we're now having to in, interact in the same space. And so I think what you're seeing more so is you're seeing how in, in the, the parable of the separates the wheat from the tares, but he's separating the goats from the sheep. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's definitely doing that right now, especially, you know, we just had one of the largest overturns in law mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Right. Wow. Yeah. Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roe Ro versus Wade. Right. Mm-hmm. And you would expect like, you know, I have an account where all I follow is ministers and leaders. Mm-hmm pastors, musicians, right? I mean, these are like really popular people of influence. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, Jason, to see like 10% of the people posting. Yeah. Very few people responding to that. And I think that there's, you're right. Like, what would you think is the reason for that? I believe it's fear of man. It's people pleasing. And then even to go to a next level, which is so sad. Some of these pastors actually don't even think abortion is wrong. Mm. The devil has deceived them, you know, If you don't think that the murder of the innocent is wrong, then you obviously don't read your Bible. And dare I say, you don't know the heart of God. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of just going with the conversation here, you know, we're talking a lot about issues of morality. And I think that they're, um, you know, for this conversation, we're probably not going to unpack all the different uh, you know, philosophical and theological vantage points we can take and why we're kind of experiencing this in the culture. I think we can we can clearly see there's something wrong. But I, I think that I kind of want to take this in a different direction. I, I'd heard a, um, a an interview with this author. Um, it was I think it was like a podcast he had done. And uh, his book, I'll, I'll drop some links in the show notes, but his book is called Seculosity, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Romance Became Our New Religion and What to Do About It. And, I, and basically the, the premise is, I'll actually read this. Um, I thought it was really neat. He says, at the heart of our current moment lies a universal yearning not to be happy or respected so much as enough, what religions call righteous. To fill the void left by religion, we look to all sorts of everyday activities from eating and parenting to dating and voting for the meaning once provided on Sunday morning. Seculoso is talking about the book here. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack here, but there's like almost like this underlying morality to how people live out their lives. Like, and I'll give you an example, like when the keto diet came out, it's like, oh, you're not doing the keto diet. Or if you're eating certain things, if you're, uh, you're like embracing some kind of workout regime and there's, and you see this on social media a lot, but gosh, it's, it's like, uh, people always want to kind of straighten you out and tell you what is more important. And there's this like one upping effect. Like, do you see this a lot on Instagram or in the social media space? Like, help me comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Comparison. That's right. Comparison culture. Right. Right. Um, is that a form of like cancel culture to a certain degree? Like you're essentially, uh, limiting out people based on their behaviors or, or certain mindsets. Or when we talk about morality from the context of our faith, we're rooting this in the personal attributes, the character of Christ, the fruit of the spirit, and even just wisdom, you know, from whether it's old Testament, new Testament, but it seems like the world the beast system has its own form of morality where it's comparison, it's canceling other people, it's works-based righteousness. Uh, help us kind of like demystify some of this, or at least uh, help help bring some of this to light. And what do, what do you see from your perspective as you engage people in the culture? 
Well, I can tell you it stems from government. It stems from media, right? Mm. You know, like we were saying, like, you know, I didn't grow up with, you know, the suicides, the school shootings, mm. the, the social media, you know, all that has taken its toll on young people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're like, oh, let's get rid of police, right? You know, no um, respect for authority, right? Mm. You see the violence has increased. You see so much that is happening in our world, just craziness. Then you mm. have a pandemic on top of it. Then you have, you know, it's just, you know, and uh, inflation, mm-hmm. you know, it's all just kind of like piled on, piled on, piled on. And um, it really starts to affect, you know, your mind, it affects how you see the world, it affects, you know, what you think of the world, right? And so the, the lack of morality in our country, you know, with our our leaders in government with the media, right, mm-hmm. affect how you think morality should be. If you don't have a firm foundation in Christ where you're reading your word and you're living the Ten Commandments out, right, if you're not, you know, living in this biblical, you know, walk, mm-hmm. you're going to kind of just go with whatever the culture is telling you is the norm. The enemy is getting bolder and louder. Mm. Good, evil, and what's mm. evil, good, right? Yeah. And if you don't have a firm foundation in Christ, if you are not, if, if the Bible is not your firm foundation, if your identity is not in Christ, then mm. you're going to be easily swayed to the left or to the right. Yeah. Yeah. When people say, well, you know, I don't want to hurt my neighbor, like just be good to people. You see the slogans all the time. This is the morality of the world. Just be kind. Be good to people, you know, uh, just uh, what's what's the other one I see all the time? Good vibes. Right. You know, and and by the way, these are more Eastern in nature. There's some there's some uh, mystical aspects to this teaching. They, they may be, you know, they may make good Instagram, you know, memes. But at the end of the day, it's it's kind of lacking in some deeper kind of understanding. So this is from um, uh, Sean McDowell here. He talks about when we talk about morality, it's the, there, there's an assumption of a standard of goodness that can be measured. Uh, and so what people do is they'll basically make comparisons against what is actually good in their eyes, this influencer, this government body, uh, their own sources of, of, of insight and wisdom, uh, even borrowing from aspects of, you know, conservatism or Christianity or things that are just historical traditions, uh, the laws that we have. Uh, but here's, here's an extreme case. Uh, if you were to compare yourself to someone like Hitler, well, I'm pretty good compared to him. Right. I'm good compared to this murder on death row, the, 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 the people that shot up the schools. But here's, here's the thing is, is that those people also thought they were doing what's right in their eyes. And I remember just recently taught, engaged with a student on NC State probably about a few months ago. And I just, you know, every now and again, I'll engage with the college student and I'll bring up this topic of morality. And, and this, I remember this one student said, uh, well, you know, I'm good. You know, essentially he boiled it down to like, this is, well, what's good. You know, um, why can't I be good apart from God? Like, so I mentioned, well, Hey, what about Adolf Hitler? What about Karl Marx? And what about, you know, Joseph Stalin? Oh, well, we're all like, we're all like Hitler's just the kind of conversation. It was like, so there's no standard at which we measure what is good and evil. How do we actually know what is right from wrong? It's almost like the way that they, you know, gauge what's good and evil is would I go to jail for this? Is this a crime? Ooh, okay, okay, right. Which is contrary to the word, Romans 3.10, there's no one righteous, not even one. You see this also in the Psalms, uh, no one does good, 
you know. Because we have a different standard. We are supposed to live by mm. a holy standard that, you know, what's good to us is what looks like Jesus, right? So that's supposed to be the standard that we live by. The world lives by, can I get in trouble for doing that? Is it a crime? No, then I can do it. Mm. But if I can get away with it, it must be okay. But we gauge it by, does it please God or not? So it's a whole different level. Mm, mm, you're right. And so if we're using our reason, right, because this is this is what so many people, I mean, just it's a it's a human component, our conscious you know, understanding of the world. And, and this is where I think, and we can go into so many rabbit trails on how evolutionary, you know, thinking comes into play, whether people even believe that we even have a conscience, that's kind of scary because then, well, how do you even know if you're alive? And well, essentially, if reason is the central processing unit of our brain, if that's how we we are able to discern right from wrong, uh, different categories of truth and, and reality. So if God created us to be rational creatures, then we have the ability to communicate what from a standard is actually good or bad. And, you know, if if you do go back to the beginning, the way that the biblical narrative lays out how we're supposed to conduct our lives, God actually did that for us. He gave us a comparison of two trees. One's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or good and bad. That's actually, I think the proper Hebrew definition is bad. And then the other one is the tree of life, right? Well, God says, do not eat from the tree that's in the garden of the good and evil, right? Because good and bad. Satan then introduces his own belief system in there. And that's where we get jacked up because essentially what Satan does, go back to Genesis 3, he basically tempts Eve, who then tempts Adam do you have a response to that? Um, along the lines of what is good and evil, right? What's moral, what's not? Jason, the truth is, you know, it's sad, but the majority of Christians at this point, because they're not reading their Bible, because they're not, you know, they don't really know their Bible, they really don't even know what's wrong anymore. They don't even know what sin is anymore, to be honest. Mm. They've taken so much of, you know, the world, TV, you know, godless entertainment, music, everything that this world has to offer, social media. And if you just drown yourself in what the world has to offer, which is godless, to start to believe that, you know, same sex is okay. Why is it so wrong? God loves people, right? Okay. Right. Don't judge your neighbor. Yeah. Well, why is abortion wrong? Oh, you know, she doesn't want it. It's my body, my choice. Right. Why is you start to justify the things of the world because all you you take in is yeah. what the world's telling you, right? right? So that's why I really challenge believers to start to really dive in, not like, you know, an hour at mm. church on Sunday. I'm talking mm. about Monday through Sunday, you know, yes. to read your Bible every day, make it a priority. You know, you always have time. I remember when I worked in the corporate world and I would have a lunch break, I would go in my car and open up my Bible in my car. Yeah. So there, you can, you know, you always make time for what you want to do, you know? Yeah. I really believe that the Holy Spirit was revealing to me, you know, why the church has been so silent on mm. important issues mm. and just standing up for righteousness, standing, you know, against sin, speaking out against sin, things like that. It's really because the standard is so low in the church right now. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Like they don't even know, is it really sin? Yeah. Is it really wrong? Because, you know, all they do is take in Netflix and movies and music and the news and, you know, everything secular. Right. And so they start to believe 
that transforms us. And that's why the Bible says, like you said earlier, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Mm. which is in the word of God. Right. Because Mm. if you're not, then you're just going to, you know, be easily swayed. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I mean, this is another topic, but you know, when the end times come, right. And the enemy comes to deceive you, what's going to happen to you. If you can't stand up now, how are you going to stand up then? Yeah. Yeah. Always give, always be prepared to give a defense for the reason why you believe I did multiple episodes on hell, but I never really got on the aspect of judgment. And, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the church being the kind of the moral standard at which societies and, and civilizations should compare against. There's a building up into our faith that is supposed to be done over the course of seasons. Uh, it, essentially, it's it's a hospital for sinners. But another place, to, another vantage point to look at is it is also a place filled with glory. There's a clear distinction between followers of Christ, servants of Christ, almost the the Christian culture around because uh, the, the people being burned at the stake were not just people that were conforming to the the norms, the cultural and social norms of the time. They were people that are living radically different. They were sharing the gospel. They were they were not recanting from their faith when challenged or, or persecuted. They were adhering to the doctrines, the sacred mysteries of the faith which were kept from the people. And I I think that you know, we, we have the freedom in our country to really promote, to really uh, share the faith. It's one of the biggest reasons they get on college campuses while we still can, because there are many countries where you cannot openly go out on a microphone and share your faith. Some countries call it proselytizing. I call it, you know, engaging with students on issues of critical thinking and worldview. As followers of Christ, what do you think should be the separation or the distinction between people of the world, the worldly thinking, and those of us that are holding to the sacred mysteries and the truth of Christ? What would be the fruit between both of those? And what do you see on your level? What should really separate us is morality, honestly, and the quick conviction of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Not the gray area, like, is it sin or is it not sin? But is that something that's going to pollute my spirit? Mm. Is this going to grieve the Holy Spirit? Like, to have that mindset versus is this a gray area or not? Because anytime, yeah. you know, it's, it's okay as long as it's not blatant sin, you're going to end up sinning. That's just, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's only a matter of time before you go full on sin. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, remember um, this was a long time ago, but there was a, a girl that I was praying for, you know, she was a Christian. She went to my young adult group, you know, college group. And she would feel guilty. She would go to her boyfriend's house. She would end up sleeping with him, right? And she would feel guilty. And then she would call me and she would ask me for prayer. And so I would pray for her, you know, like, oh, Lord, help her, you know, for this not to happen again, right? Then a week later, she would call me again and she would say, it happened again. You know, I don't know what happened, but, you know, I went to his house and I ended up naked again. And, you know, and I messed up. Again. It was a, it was an accident. You just went over to his house and, and clothes came off. And no, I mean, I don't want exactly. to judge, but it's like, look, you know, this is what the, the point of the story, like she called me again. Right. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, would you pray for me again? Right. You know, this was happening. So I prayed for her again, trying to not be judgmental or anything. You know, I prayed for her again, but I'm telling you, Jason, the third time she called me, <laughs> she asked me, she said she ended up, you know, sleeping with him again. You know, at that point I had to tell her, I said, girl, you don't need prayer. You need boundaries. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, it's, and, and do you know that she like stopped talking to me after that? And mm. she basically mm. wanted nothing to do with me yeah. because of that, because that's what I'm trying to tell you. Like 
People want to justify their sin yeah. and they want to hang out with people that will not remind them that they're living in sin, right? Wow. Yeah. Mm. You know, like-minded are mm. attracted to like-minded. Oh, you're yeah. compromising? So am I. You're sleeping with your boyfriend. You're getting yes. drunk. You're mm. out mouth. You know, you're mm. watching all these shows, you know, mm. naked yeah. dating or whatever's out there now, you know. Um, oh, okay. So then they yeah. don't feel guilty. They don't feel convicted. But the truth is you want to hang out with people that actually keep you accountable, yeah. you know? No, it's, yeah, I think you're... You're hitting on so many, and this is exactly why I wanted, you know, to interview you because I know you have just a really raw and very just deliberate way of communicating truth. And, you know, look, you know, the whole idea of the show is, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to get after wisdom here. And I think more often than not, a lot of the wisdom and advice and and information is so, it's so like practical and common sense that it doesn't require deep theological treatise or like, you know, a major philosophical, you know, unpacking. It's really simple. Like your sinful condition of your heart led you to act out in an unhealthy, destructive way. And you're looking for some kind of moral cleansing or, or, you know, justification for your behavior. And here's the, here's what I think is the key is the word does say to confess to one another so that there's, there's an aspect of which we, we bear each other's burdens, but that other person is not responsible for your salvation. We have one Lord, one Savior. And I think as a church, as a body of Christ, that's when we have the opportunity to come together. And instead of judging one another, we sharpen one another. It's not that we put up with sin. You know, I, I heard this as very practical advice about how to engage with people, um, both within the context of our faith and outside. Here, here's something. When we come across people with different beliefs, different lifestyles, different worldviews, a very practical way I heard that just to engage or, or uh, just to kind of safeguard your heart, just say, I don't agree with that. You know, as simple as that, like, oh, that's really interesting. Well, I don't agree with that. But um, it, instead of saying like, you know, I respect the right, because I don't respect sin, but mm-hmm. I do understand that the person is in a process and a journey. And by the way, you know, I've learned this in patterns in my own life that, uh, be, you know, we don't judge, but there's kind of differences in the way that I think as followers of Christ, as brothers and sisters in faith, that we kind of approach one another because we know that there's one true God and one Lord that we there is this grace to kind of correct your your neighbor. But on the outside, to people that don't know that, I would just say in those cases, uh, doing that from a position of love where, hey, if it's one thing to be like, well, I disagree with that, Twitter rant or, you know, you know, social media craze, you know, hashtag share, whatever, that maybe not, that's probably not so productive and actually is probably really damaging. But it's another thing to say, I disagree with that, but I definitely uh, want to encourage you to, you know, pursue truth and pursue righteousness. And by the way, look, if you ever want to meet for coffee, like my door's open. Right. Uh, but, you know, I would say that that type of thinking is not something I agree with. And I think that maybe you should really, you know, consider, um, yeah. you know, learning a little bit more about that before you just share what you feel because right. feelings, feelings don't exactly, you know, always compare to reality or. Yeah. Well, when God told me, Jason, this changed everything for me because you do have to have a heart of love. Mm. Anytime I say anything, even if it's tough love and it, you know, convicts you and, you know, it's hard to hear. It's really always coming from a humble, pure heart of love. Like I really want you to be all that God's called you to be. Right. It doesn't come from a judgmental, self-righteous, you know, prideful heart. Like you were saying, like, it's really a case by case basis. Like Mm. I love lost and the broken and I wouldn't Mm. probably speak like holy truth to them. Right. Yeah. 
because they're not, they're not even walking with God. Right. Yeah. Like I pray for divine appointments every day. There's times I hug people in a grocery store that aren't saved and mm. I love on them and they can mm. feel, they tell me like, I feel your love. I feel your joy. Right. So it's really yeah. a case by case basis. Like I really want to be Christ-like and Christ is the lion and the lamb. Yeah. So sometimes I know I'm supposed to speak out against injustice, you know, call out sin like a fierce lion. You know, and then there's other times I'll hold the broken in my arms and love on them like the lamb. You know, Jesus calls us to be like him and he was justice and grace. He wasn't one or the other. Yeah, that's that's such a, a so refreshing to hear that. Um, I very much sometimes feel like uh, I can be honestly pretty harsh, but more deliberate and sometimes like not considering the other person. I think, you know, the word does say we need to season our words with salt and we need to be the light of the world. And, you know, th- and there's sometimes where... Yeah, like, you know, where words fail our actions, like going up and letting that person know that, you know, you care for them. And, um, you know, I'm a complete stranger sometimes that, you know, you're having conversations with. And I think often, uh, I, I've learned this recently, is, you know, when when you see someone that has a differing uh, religious or worldview perspective than you do, I think one of the, like a practical way is just asking them why that's meaningful to them and kind of letting them open up a little bit and, and just, and then from that asking questions to kind of really get them, I think there's ways to do apologetics without having to like, you know, really kind of like correct or like really kind of try to draw out all the negatives there and asking them kind of, you know, deeper questions that may just get them really confused. I think the practical from just the position of listening and like, you know, approaching them where they're at and then demonstrating the love, you know, it's one thing to to kind of do the act, but we, we have to also speak the truth. Otherwise we're, we're, we're kind of letting them get off with the lie. Well, that's why it's so important that you um, desire discernment and ask God for discernment. Mm. Mm. no two people are alike, right? Mm. You might go outside, you might be on an errand and you run into someone that's not a believer. They just need the compassion of Jesus, right? Then you might be with a Christian who's justifying their sin and they need the hard truth. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want it to ever come from my own flesh, right? Yeah. Or my own motive, right? Mm. Um, mm. The Holy Spirit really has to like kind of light something up in me to do something, you know, like I know it's him and it comes from a pure place. And so, but I do want to be obedient. If he tells me to say something, I'm going to say it. If he tells me to shut my mouth, I'm going to shut my mouth. Right. Right. The fact that we do gain or lose in this life isn't the ultimate goal or aim. If we become very influential in certain spheres or if we, uh, you know, are, are meeting success, there's almost like this, well, you're, you know, I'm not doing it right because none of these things are happening. My relationships are falling apart. I'm still single. And later in my life when a lot of my friends are married or, uh, you know, how come I didn't get the breakthrough or how come, you know, I, I listened to this, this message this prosperity message and uh, I, I didn't get the healing that I thought I would get. My family members died. I mean, there's not enough time under the sun to really unpack a lot of that. Far too many Christians treat God, you know, treat Jesus like a Santa Jesus. You know, I call him a Santa Jesus. Mm, Yeah, yeah. You know, why didn't I get, get, get from you, God? Why didn't you give me what I asked you for? And it's like he's replying saying, you know, why didn't you give, give, give me what I'm asking you for, which is your heart. Right, right. We're, we're, We're pursuing the blessing of God the the favor and outpouring of his of his spirit without the the lordship and obedience and really the the uh heart growth 
and uh, just the the levels of, of, of transformation that we're going to go through in the process. When you really surrender your life to God, favor flows from that. You no longer have to have that kind of poverty mentality with God, begging him for him to bless you or for him to answer your prayers. And when we live a devoted, surrendered life to him, then there's no longer that striving, that anxiety, that worry. And there's also another level of trust where you trust that if God does not give you what you're asking him for, then his ways really are perfect and they're way better than ours. You know, his timing is perfect, like the Bible says. And there's that trust factor that, well, I guess I wasn't supposed to have it or God has a greater reason on why I don't have it. There's no resentment that comes from that. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, there's there's so much there to unpack. It's really important to desire and ask for daily divine appointments. Can you give us like a, a few practicals? Like what does it look like, not just have the relationship with God, but to kind of be God's agent in the world? Well, first of all, you have to let God change your heart. In order to even have the desire to stop for the one, you know, to stop for the strangers, that takes having the heart of God, right? Yeah. Because we're so self-focused. We know we have our own agenda, A, B, and C that we have to do. We're kind of selfish by nature, right? But when you really have the heart of God, then you want to stop for those divine appointments. So allowing God to do that difficult work, you know, to purge me, to transform me, and then to start to pray for divine appointments every day, and then just be aware, you know, everywhere you go, you never know when God is going to bring that person that he wants you to talk to, he wants you to say something to. Sometimes it's just a smile. I mean, you can break the spirit of suicide off someone just by giving them a compliment sometimes, you know, to somebody who never gets any kind word that might mean everything to them, right? You never know what the divine appointment is. And then sometimes you're the divine appointment, you know, maybe you need to be encouraged. But it really takes us being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, leading us, being aware of our surroundings, and being willing to speak up or do whatever it is that he's calling us to do. Because the Bible says, you know, he would leave the 99 for the one. I mean, he cares about people so much. He loves people so much. He would stop everything to chase after the one. So we have to have that kind of love for people as well. And let me tell you, you know, religion has a bad rap. You know, people don't like religion, but Jesus is so attractive. You know, there's no way that Jesus would walk into a place and people would not feel love. And we are called as Christians to be carriers of his love. When you're really spirit-filled and you're carrying the aroma of love that comes from Jesus himself, I mean, people know that there's something different about you before you even open up your mouth. Because you carry his presence. And we should be the ones carrying the life-changing presence of Jesus into this dying and lost world. Yes. No, that's so good. The perspective of that, and it's so good. Jesus noticed people and it wrecked them. Right. I mean, the woman at the well just kind of really sticks out. Uh, but even people that just kind of like broke through the crowds just to touch his garment and he stopped what he was doing just to acknowledge that person. There's a lifestyle component to this that I think also is very tangible, like you developing the practicing the presence of God, right? Right. Holy Spirit inside of me is basically pruning me and in, in, in refining me right. to be more like Jesus. Right. Everybody's going to express that differently in their life. But what it should look like, if you really want to see if someone truly is following, you have to know the word of God. You have to know what right looks like. And you have to also get close to that person and invite them in. 
uh, as we're kind of closing out the the conversation here, you know, we had talked a little bit about uh, gender and, and identity, the morality, um, just a lot of the the uh, impacts in our culture, and even really us as we're growing and and becoming more Christ-like, or as we're on that journey to discovering deeper truths and knowledge about God. Well, it was great to have this meaningful conversation with my brother in Christ, Jason. We hope that we are able to teach and encourage you. And if you want to listen to more of Jason, check out his Solomon's Knot podcast available on every platform. Make sure to subscribe to get all the blog and podcast updates at leahmariecarson.com. Follow on Instagram at The Lens of Faith. And be sure to subscribe to the Lens of Faith podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Remember, friends, life becomes clearer when you focus through the lens of faith. Talk to you soon. Bye.